Well, uh, good morning. I should say uh, good afternoon to those of you on the same time zone that I am. I'm constitutional attorney Catherine Henry. Welcome to this week's episode of Restore Freedom Weekly. I can't believe it, but this is already episode 43 of Restore Freedom Weekly, and we are glad that you are joining us today. I do have a special guest who will be joining us today, and hopefully we'll still be able to hear from Liberty Lori, our um, uh, very important uh, liberty fighter that joins us uh, in this whole fight for freedom with Restore Freedom. So uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get started, I guess. One, one little bit of uh, ado uh, is uh, we now have sponsorship opportunities available. So if you are somebody who wants to uh, just quite frankly, donate towards the mission uh, in a particular area, our newsletter that goes out to thousands of people every week, or uh, this very show, or our Thursday Constitution segment. Perhaps you value all the resources available on our website or uh, our Constitution app. There's a lot of ways that you can donate to specific endeavors that we're doing to restore freedom here in the United States, uh, with that a little bit of special emphasis on Michigan and Florida, of course. But uh, there's you could just donate or, like I said, there's sponsorships available. So if you would like to have your name, your family name, your um, your organization or, you know, your business, get a little bit of spotlight with liberty loving individuals in Florida and in Michigan specifically. And of course, all across the country, then please make sure to reach out to us. You can actually go to our website and you'll see uh, there's no longer just a shop donate tab. There's a support tab and you'll be able to see the donate uh, option there and you'll see all those options available to you there. It looks a lot better than it had been in the last five months since I was uh, forced into using our new website that I wasn't quite done yet putting together. But hey, when crap happens, you roll with it, right? So, um, all right, now with any, without any further ado, let's go ahead and uh, introduce today's topic. Today's topic is the new court order that protects election challengers and poll watchers. Of course, this is episode 43, like we mentioned. So uh, election challengers and poll watchers, <coughs> excuse me, are essential to fair and honest elections. This episode focuses on how the Secretary of State, excuse me, Man, I'm already choked up about it and we didn't even get started. How the Secretary of State tried to shut down election challengers and poll watchers through new forms, uh, no election day appointments or credentialing, prohibiting recording devices or communication with election inspectors, and refusing to record all challenges made. But then, of course, we're going to talk about the recent court order that was stopping this craziness. So, of course, we have a true or false question of the day that we posted earlier this morning, which is election workers can do whatever they think is necessary to keep elections running securely. Of course, you can participate on Twitter, Telegram, LinkedIn, Truth Social, YouTube, and on our very own website, where you'll be able to click um, and participate in on that poll. With our website, you don't have to have any kind of social media um, account whatsoever. So that's uh, an option that you might want to consider. So you might ask, why am I discussing these issues? I found a lot of people that are seemingly constitution minded, but who are on this whole, like all attorneys are bad bandwagon. Well, the thing is, most attorneys, let's be honest, most, most attorneys do not uphold the Constitution nor defend it by any stretch of the imagination. And in that sense, they are bad. But nonetheless, with my professional obligations, I have a duty to protect and inform the public. Uh, good afternoon, Jane in Michigan. Uh, don't forget, you have family and friends in, uh, in Florida on this side of the coast. So please make sure to come visit us sometime soon. Uh, so let's remind ourselves of the basics, okay? We have, uh, well, we the people created our constitution and our very form of government. Yes, that's in the U.S. Constitution preamble, the state constitution preamble, such as the Michigan Constitution preamble, the Declaration of Independence. 
we get our rights from God, not the government. Of course, we have all the references here. And don't don't fret if you can't keep up with the fast pace. We're going over these basics. These are things we talk about literally every week. Uh, and these will continue to be in the um, Constitution segment recap. And of course, in the slideshow that you'll be able to get your hands on personally uh, on Thursday. So don't worry about the specifics here. It's all here, but you'll be able to see it uh, up close and personal later on in the week. Of course, government, though, government has no rights. And you can look at the Ninth and Tenth Amendments and really read them. They're not very long uh, to understand why we say that. And government only has the powers which we delegate to it. Of course, you can look at the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence for that. And specifically with one of those parts of the Constitution, Article 4, Section 4, guaranteeing us that Republican form of government, that means we elect representatives, but we, the people, retain the ultimate control and authority. So what does all of this mean with this recap? Well, it means that government cannot act at all. Any level, any branch cannot act unless there is a specific power granted in the Constitution. Government is prohibited from doing anything that violates the U.S., or state constitutions. And in fact, every government official is sworn to the oath of office, the constitutional oath of office. Well, the U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Where do I get that? Well, you could look at the Constitution itself, Article 6. Uh, this means that no federal law, no state law, no state constitutional provision, no court order, no government action, not even um, an elections manual, can be repugnant to the Constitution. Any law, state constitutional provision, court order, or any other government action that is repugnant to the Constitution is void. All election officials, in fact, are required to take that constitutional oath that we were talking about. Uh, and you can see that in the U.S. Constitution. I put the portions of Michigan uh, Constitution and state law in there, as well as the Florida statutes that talk about uh, constitutional oaths of office. So do we, the people, really have authority and power in our system of government? Well, that's an important question to ask really in any of these topics we cover every week, because if you feel like, well, gosh, there's no point, we have no power to fix anything, uh, you know, we might as well leave it up to those who are the politicians or with lots of money or whatever the case may be. Uh, if you're starting with that frame of mind, then there is no point, right? But there is hope because the law and the Constitution and the power is actually on our side. So yes, we do have the power to do something. We do have the authority to do something. In fact, in every single state across the country, that's the case. So today's topic, we're talking about a case that actually happened in Michigan and is currently going on. Hi, Terry, on um, uh, YouTube there. But let's talk about, just as an example, all other states have uh, elections in the Constitution. And uh, I just want to let you guys know I have a special treat for you coming up in about four minutes. So uh, make sure that you are stay tuned. Uh, you're staying tuned for that. But um, to finish up introducing what we're talking about here, election is it's not just something that happens every couple of years. It's not just something that the media portrays and uh, glamorizes, right? No, it's uh, it's something that's very specific and is is um, uh, monitored or devised in a certain way. It has to be set out in a certain way. And our state constitutions really do a great job of providing what those specifics are. Our U.S. Constitution actually talks about uh, what the state constitutions and what state legislatures are supposed to do with elections. But uh, at any rate, the Florida state constitution, for example, mentions the word election 124 times. And the Michigan Constitution mentions the word election 105 times. That's a lot. So what does the Florida Constitution say about elections? This is just an example. Again, these all of these specifics are going to be available to you on Thursday with the Constitution segment recap. But I just wanted to give you some information. This one, I love this. This is the oath. This is in the Florida Constitution. This is uh, Article 6, Section 3, that when you sign up to be a registered voter, in the state of Florida, you are taking the oath to protect 
and defend the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the state of Florida. I love that. Every state should be like that. Um, but I also wanted to point out that, you know, every state has some sort of provision about voter challenges, uh, poll watchers, election challengers. There's, they're called a variety of different things. Uh, this is a uh, poll watchers. The slide before was um, voter challenges. Um, and in fact, Michigan, this is, or excuse me, Florida, as uh, continuing this example, has several statutes on public inspection of ballots, poll worker recruitment and training, and uh, all kinds of other good things, uh, public access at the polls. So what happened to cause the lawsuit that led to the order that we're talking about today? Well, the Michigan Secretary of State issued a manual in um, May of 2022, this year, just a few months ago, but they did so without any public input. So the notice and comment requirements uh, that go along with that APA, the Administrative Procedures Act, um, that didn't happen. So uh, when people started to see about it and hear about it and read about it, uh, their concerns were shared with the Secretary of State throughout the summer of 2022 regarding well, quite frankly, illegal portions, concerning portions of this manual. So what were those concerns? Well, I'm just going to say namely five. You know, there's a few other things going on in there, but to keep it simple for you guys and to close this introduction out in short order, um, number one, poll challengers, according to this manual, have to fill out a specific form now just to be considered validly credentialed. So if you aren't given a copy of this form, if you're there the day of and trying to get credentialed and you there's no longer any copies of this form, supposedly you would not be credentialed and be able to be uh, a poll challenger, um, election challenger or poll watcher. The appointment and credentialing of election challengers on election day was prohibited in this manual. Poll challengers were then also only allowed to communicate through a challenger liaison and otherwise would be removed from the poll polling place or absentee ballot area if they um, communicated with any other election inspectors trying to raise any other concerns. Uh, and poll challengers would be removed if they even had a cell phone or any kind of other de recording device. And lastly, the challenger liaison was the one that would determine if these challenges being raised by poll watchers and poll challenges are so-called permissible. And if they weren't deemed permissible, then no record was even going to be made of these challenges. If that doesn't sound quite right to you, well, then you're right. You can look at Michigan Constitution Article 2, Section 4, Subdivision 2, that talks about, well, quite frankly, it's the legislature's job to preserve the purity of elections and guard against abuses of the elective franchise. So who sued the Secretary of State to stop all this? Well, a good friend of mine, Bob Cushman, uh, who was there at the TCF Center, on uh, November 3rd, 4th, whatever, um, I don't remember if it lasted another day or whatever it was, but uh, in 2020. And three other credential election challengers, Penny Kreider, a candidate for the Michigan House, Ken Kreider, who is a candidate for the Michigan Senate, the Michigan Republican Party, and the Republican National Committee. So obviously these are things that are inherently important in the country if we're having the RNC get involved in this challenge, in this lawsuit. That's not just some local Michigan stuff that nobody else in the rest of the country needs to worry about. Well, quite frankly, if you've been paying attention to anything that's happened since the election in 2020, then you know what happens in Michigan is extremely important for the rest of the country. So among other things, they asked a court to asked the court to declare the entire May 2022 manual void or to order at least removal of certain passages. So um, the court declared that these defendants have violated uh, the Michigan election law and the APA. Okay, great. So that means the show is done, right? Well, no, we have some important stuff we have to go over, hence our special guest. Um, the May 2022 manual, and this is uh, according to the court, the May 2022 Secretary of State's manual in and of itself does not have the force and effect of law. And the Secretary of State and the Bureau of Elections are enjoined or stopped from using or otherwise implementing the current version of that manual to the extent that it uh, is inconsistent with the opinion and order that came out last Thursday. I believe it was on the 20th of October. So 
it is further ordered that they then, the defendants, the Secretary of State, Bureau of Elections, they have three choices. They can either rescind the entire manual from May 2022, they can revise it to come in compliance with the court's order, or they can go back to the October 2020 order, or excuse me, manual that was written, and then revise that one to come into compliance with this court order. So what did the court say about these five specific concerns? And this is where we are going to introduce my dear friend. Uh-oh, I got to make sure my screen gets a little bit bigger here. Um, man, the guy works a lot. You can tell because look at all the background stuff. He has books and papers everywhere. That's a guy who's hard at work. Welcome, my dear friend, Patrick Holbeck. How are you doing today? Good. You're not even seeing the right-hand corner of the desk over here with the stacks of stuff that I'm supposed to be reading. Uh, that was a very good introduction into the matter at hand here. And there, there's one thing I want to point out is that you talked about all the plaintiffs, but you know what? We didn't start out all, all at the same time. Um, believe it or not, the, the uh, Michigan GOP and the RNC filed a lawsuit on the same day that my friends in the grassroots filed. And it was they took a slightly different approach than what we did in the lawsuit. Judge Brock Swartzel looked at the two suits, said they're pretty much asking for the same thing. Let's combine them into one suit. And I just want to point that out because it's a rare uh, circumstance where it seems like kind of the establishment Republican Party is on the same page finally with the grassroots. And so when that happens, you got to celebrate it. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I did note, and, and I'm going to make this available for everybody by Friday as one of those freedom fighting tools, um, the actual wording of the order itself, but uh, opinion and order. It's quite long for those of you who don't like to read this kind of thing. So that's why I wasn't jumping at getting it to you today because you're most it's likely not going to read it. You like to read this kind of thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, but uh, yeah, Judge uh, uh I can't even say his name, Swartzel. Um, he is one of them that I did recommend that you guys vote for in, uh, May, in November 2020 for Michigan Supreme Court, by the way. But now he is sitting on the Court of Claims. And he um, mentions in here that, uh, at least according to him, that it was two days later that the third uh, poll challenger and the Michigan Republican Party and the RNC filed their lawsuit. So yeah, he does give credit to the grassroots jumping in first and taking the lead. And then uh, it's great that the establishment joined uh, in and, and they're fighting this fight together. So before I uh, we get into the specifics, I, I have to make sure that, uh, I mean, basically you've been living under a rock if you don't know who my friend Patrick Kolbeck is, at least by now, if you've been paying attention to anything elections over the last two and a half years. But uh, my dear friend Patrick Kolbeck is somebody that actually um, su supported me and endorsed me in my race for state rep um, years ago, seven years ago. And uh, then in turn, when he ran for governor, he was state senator for the state of Michigan. Uh, and when he ran for governor, I was region four coordinator for his gubernatorial campaign. Let me tell you, if he'd been the one that went against Gretchen, things would have been a lot different. Well, because the things she was saying against Shooty, a little bit true. Anyway, so um, there's a reason why people didn't want to vote for him. But uh, at any rate. I still remember you coming to that, uh, I think it was the first debate with the pocket constitution. Um with your uh, child and just bringing it up there and, and just uh, walking around with it. I think it was a David Barton one, wasn't it? Oh, oh, that's the first day I met you. That was um, Rafael Cruz uh, when he was speaking on behalf of Ted Cruz at the um, uh, Kent County GOP headquarters. Yeah. She is now almost nine years old, that little baby girl. <laughs> yes. That was, that was, uh, that was encouraging. I don't see that very often. <laughs> Yeah, so, in fact, uh, there are pictures that uh, Wendy Day or you, one of the two of you had taken, uh, well, pictures were probably Ken and Darlene, quite frankly, but anyway, that made it to um, Ted Cruz's, uh, I think, Twitter account, and man, within like one day, she had over 10,000 likes on her photo holding the American flag uh, in the arms of Rafael Cruz, because she inadvertently, for those of you who were not there at this event many years ago, uh, she, um, Mike and I were intently listening to what Rafael Cruz was saying, and baby Emma, who was... Uh, I can't do the math right now. We'll just say she was a year old, uh, not even. She was just kind of hanging out by the side in the, in the back of the Kent GOP main area and um, just playing. And somebody came up and talked to me. It was probably Wendy Day just for a minute. And then all of a sudden I look and my daughter is, she has made her way all the way towards the front and she's approaching Rafael Cruz as he's giving his speech. And <laughs> he bends down, picks her up and then completes the rest of his speech holding Emma. So 
uh, it was quite uh, an interesting time. Of and, course, and that's as a parent, what it's all about, right? I mean, it's about the right. future generation. If we don't take a stand now, they're, we're not being responsible for that future generation. And speaking of future generations, uh, one of my other children, kid number three, Alex, who just turned 19 last week when he was, I can't even do the math, we'll say 12 or 13, he was uh, an active part in your uh, campaign for governor uh, oh. back in the day. So uh, we got oh, lots of pictures. You. Of you yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, flashbacks here. So um, so your current organization, if people want to look it up afterwards, um, I know that you kind of have either started well, or been involved about my so. current organization that's pretty much lacking. It's all the <laughs> papers all over my desk right I, now. So. I meant it more as like the <laughs> noun of an entity, but um, what's the, uh, is it just, it's not just Patrick Colbeck, is it? It's, you have, no, is it Operation Org is a website that I started before the election because I saw the censorship that was coming down the pipe and regarding covid and i said this is ridiculous we got to have something that uh, a website that people can go to to get the truth out about uh at the time my focus was on covid and some of the restrictions that were happening and you're right if i was governor it would have been a completely different situation inside of michigan for sure um and then um that gradually morphed into the elections as we saw more and more uh, what was happening with the election system. I mean, we were filing suit with the folks out at the Thomas More Law Center um, back in, I think, June is when we filed our first suit around some of the stuff that Jocelyn Benson was doing with our qualified voter file. And so, a matter of fact, I even stepped down from my job as CEO of the Michigan Armed Forces Hospitality Center in July because I said, guys, I got to devote full time to getting us prepped for what's coming up in this upcoming election. They're about to steal the election. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. So um, you have, and what did you say that website was that people wanted to specifically look up more? Oh yeah, go to letsfixstuff.org. And by the way, if you wanna find out what happened in the 2020 election, I wrote a book called The 2020 Coup, What Happened and more, more importantly, what can we do? Awesome. Um, so I do wanna say, before we go any further, we're gonna give you all the specifics, but as of right now, this court order is what stands. And it's what everybody in Michigan would follow, especially those uh, election workers or poll challengers. But uh, of course, the appeal is pending. So uh, this was the order came out on the 20th, which I believe was last Thursday. And yeah. by Friday, the 21st, there was an appeal already filed. Um, so, you know, but there's our no guarantee that, you know. Yeah. Our response has to be put in by three o'clock today. Oh, Okay. Well, if you think of it and you uh, want to shoot me a copy of that, I'll, I'm going to throw it on my website and have people be able to read it and, and be more involved. And then of course, Thursday, I do a constitution segment recap so we can let people know about it then as well. So yeah, attorney Ann Howard's working on it right now, feverishly with some support from our meddling kids in the background here. So okay. um, hopefully we'll have that out here soon. And um, I mean, it's, it's pretty, their, their argument is around latches. And so it's, it's, um, it's kind of uh, the same thing that Judge Swartz will address in his opinion. So I think we'll be okay. Well, yeah. And so there, and I just briefly peruse their appeal. Um, it does kind of go more over that doctrine of latches, which um, I uh, might end up having to do a separate video just about that because it sounds goofy and it's uh, antiquated. Really, uh, Judge Swartz didn't even uh, devote too much time to it here because it's not it's not appropriate to apply that kind of doctrine to this clear situation. Yeah. But um, yeah. Essentially, it's saying that, um, yeah, we know we broke the law, but give us a chance to go off and comply with it. <laughs> so, well, right. And just right. delay, delay, delay. And they're saying that because we waited so long, they don't have to follow the law is what it comes down to. And it's like, no, yes. actually, you should be following the law all the time. Uh, well, yeah, you know, that's actually, that's right. That should be the thing. That's and my layperson person. <laughs> exactly. Well, and the thing is, the concept of latches, I guess I'll just briefly say that for people that are like, okay, you've mentioned it like five times now, what is it? It's basically <laughs> saying a party has come to court, they might otherwise be entirely legally or constitutionally correct on their arguments, but they waited too long, not that they waited beyond a statute of limitations, but they were lazy in bringing their claim and they could have brought it earlier. And because they waited, then the other party is now somehow harmed in some way. That's that's what the state is claiming here. Normally, that's a concept, though, that it's like between two parties. You know, if I was going to sue my neighbor, Patrick Kolbeck, because 
Um, you know, I didn't like that he was planning on building some huge gazebo that was going to do X, Y, Z to the landscape and affect well, my I'm property. talking about Dominion voting systems, for example, or something like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it makes more sense, though. Exactly. It makes more right. sense, though, when it's two private parties. Here, they're trying to apply it as the state saying they're somehow harmed. The funny thing is, they're saying that uh, the plaintiffs in this case uh, all waited too long to file, um, but yet, and because they're saying, you know, changing the manual or rescinding it at this point would just be so hard when they in fact waited just two years ago in the last general election, they waited until October to even send out their October elections manual. So I think and they're I used to last minute. And I like to highlight in my press release that they they issued a 34-page um, um, pleading um, in response to a document that's only 27 pages that they could have revised just five sections of it in that time frame. So it's uh, you can't say that they didn't have time to go off and address it. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, well, I guess it's just easier for them to figure out legal arguments to come up with and make up so that they could violate the law and forget the Constitution than it is to just follow it. You know, that's that's hard to do. Yeah. So uh, what I wanted to do is um, grab, uh, and this is something that we'll be sharing with you, and I want you to share this out uh, in its entirety. This is just the middle section of a document that is a, just a one-page uh, PDF that Patrick Colbeck put together uh, about what this order is and some of the highlights here. And so um, I mentioned earlier that there were five main points that they were raising, that the plaintiffs were raising in this lawsuit as to why this manual is illegal, why it's not you know something that can be used. Well, this is um, how Patrick Colbeck put it on this handout to break down with those five main arguments, what Judge Brock Schwartzel, uh say that three times fast. Like, it's just hard. Anyway, um, I'm glad it wasn't him in kindergarten because <laughs> I can barely say it now. But uh, anyway, if, yeah, this is how uh, he broke down. And this is not Patrick Kolbeck's like version of what should happen or whatever. Uh, for the most part, um, I didn't verify every single letter and piece of punctuation, but for the most part, it's literally copying and pasting what Judge Swartzel yeah. said on each of these points. And so with that, this is what Patrick Kolbeck is going to tell us. And then don't forget, just because when he gets to the point of being done describing all these things, we still have some more things that are, were important to acknowledge uh, or pay attention to that came out of this order, but this is the main chunk. So uh, you want to take it away? Yeah. First of all, the reason why I put together this one pager is that back in 2020, we won a court injunction. My friend and your friend, Bob Cushman, was in a lawsuit with Steve Cara that they were successfully pushing back on another attempt by Jocelyn Benson to make up her own rules going into the election. Like you said, at the last second, she said, hey, we're going to put in this phony six foot distancing rule between uh, poll challengers and poll workers. And, and of course, the training manuals proceeded to go off and demonstrate that this six-foot rule could be used by poll workers to obstruct the view of poll challengers um, when they're trying to oversee what they're doing. So this is us trying to and when we actually were at the polls, and I, I served TCS Center as well, and um, what we saw was that they were attempting to use this six-foot rule, uh, even though there was a court injunction. So it meant that they hadn't communicated that court decision out to the people who are actually working the polls. So I said, well, we're not going to let that happen this time. We're, we've actually, the Republican Party has committed to distributing um, the ruling out to all the uh, um, election officials throughout the state. Um, we're going to go off and put out a version to uh, the, uh, or a summary to law enforcement officers all across the state and make sure that they're aware of it. And we're doing our best. I put out a press release yesterday to make sure that everybody in the media knew what the decision actually was. So um, it's not good enough to win these victories. We actually got to communicate them or else they ignore them uh, on Election Day and they create a very tense environment. We don't want that. Uh, what's evident with the issuance of these rulings in general was that Jocelyn Benson is trying to foment conflict at the polls this upcoming election. And what we're trying to do is get ahead of that and and try to have, make sure that we got peaceful, lawful execution of our elections. And I'll just give you a quick example why that's uh, why this conflict, why she's fomenting conflict. When we have poll challengers that are trained and certified, 
they are trained to enforce election law. Our poll challengers follow a bunch of MCL 168.733727, all these different sections of Michigan election law and say, here are your rights and here are your duties as poll challengers. When Jocelyn issued her guidelines, she had zero references in her May 2022 manual to Michigan election law. Zero. She was just making it up as she went along here. And uh, when you do that and you issue directives to poll inspectors and election officials that are completely in conflict with what the actual election law is, now you've teed up conflict between poll challengers and elect poll inspectors. Poll inspectors think they're doing the right thing because they're doing what they were told by their election officials. Um, meanwhile, poll challengers think they're doing the right thing, and they are doing the right thing because they're following the law. So that's what they were teeing up. That, that's why it was necessary for us to get the word out and make it so that it's in a bite-sized chunk that can be posted up on a wall at an election site, and everybody can sing from the same sheet of music that way. Um so I think that's important. So here, here's kind of those five items. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go bottoms up uh, through these and start with the uh, one on the bottom, which is making a record of impermissible election challengers, because I want to highlight why these provisions and, uh, and why these decisions were important to us as poll challengers. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was, um, I wanted to share, there it is. Okay, so something that um, Patrick just said really kind of struck a nerve with me because this is what we hear all through COVID. This is what we hear all through, you know, any gun, any kind of government regulation whatsoever where they're not doing what they're supposed to. City workers, county workers, even state workers, you know, they're like, if they're not the head of the department, uh, they often will say, well, sometimes even if they are the head of the department, they'll say, oh, I'm just following orders. Yeah. I'm just doing what that I'm told. At Nuremberg, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But every single election worker is required to take that constitutional oath of office. You can't serve in that government capacity if you aren't saying you're going to uphold uh, the Constitution of the state of Michigan or, or state of Florida, whatever state you're in, um, and the Constitution of the United States. So uh, certainly you can't have a rogue secretary of state doing whatever they want. We'll kind of go over that um, at, you know, later on at the end here. But uh, at any rate, it's just important because the, well, I'm just following what I was told or I'm just following this manual to the T. Shoot, in Florida, there were issues, I think it was right before the last, uh, the primary here, where there were uh, local elections officials making up these manuals about, you know, masking and all this other kind of stuff, uh, vaccination status, some crazy stuff written in there, and then putting it out as the official manual that you had to follow if you were going to work or even be a challenger in the polls. And, you know, pe people that are uninformed uh, chose chose to be uninformed and not actually follow up on what the law is. And so they were planning on executing that. But uh, at any rate, uh, just something I wanted to remind you all, doesn't matter what state you're in, your election workers are required to follow the Constitution. So I'm going to get back to, um, let's see here. I think it was um, here. Okay. All right, so let's go bottoms up, first of all, because that's what you say when you have a victory, bottoms up. <laughs> so, uh, and we have a huge victory, and we've been looking for a victory for a long time. So, And, and I want to point out also, this is the fifth time Jocelyn Benson has been found to have violated the law with her guidelines. I mean, she literally is a serial lawbreaker. So let's start with making a record of impermissible election challengers. Why is this important? Um, because at the TCS Center, we were finding that a lot of the poll inspectors and poll workers were not entering the, the challenges that were submitted by the poll challengers. This is a big deal because when you're going to go off and um, certify an election and you're part of a like a county board of canvassers, you weren't necessarily at all the different precincts um, on election day and weren't able to observe all the different election processes. So you have to rely upon the notes that people are providing you. And there's really two sets of notes you're getting, or two sets of records that you primarily have access to. You have access to the ballots, and you have access to the poll books. The poll books are nothing but a glorified journal of the election proceedings. That's where they're supposed to be capturing poll challenges. So when somebody, when a poll challenger challenges a particular ballot or an election process in its entirety, that information is supposed to be captured in the poll book, which is not just a paper chase. The, the board of canvassers, if they're acting responsibly in their duties, 
they're going to look at that information and make a determination as to whether or not they should certify the election or not. If there seems to be a pattern of abuse, they're going to ask for an explanation of that pattern of abuse. And if they don't get a good explanation, they should not certify. Now, this new ballot proposal three that's coming out there makes that decision point perfunctory, um, which is another reason to vote no on it. Uh, not ballot proposal three, sorry. Two. Proposal two, yeah. So they're all numbers. Vote two no on proposal vote. three if you're in Michigan. Vote no yeah. on proposal three if you're in Florida too. But anyway, vote no on yeah. proposal two in Michigan. Just vote no on them all. It's like, uh, yeah, proposal one is another one to vote no on. It's complete smoke and mirrors. Um, so that's why this is important. And essentially what the judge said is that, no, guys, you don't get to act as judge and jury if you're a poll inspector or poll worker and say, ah, I like that poll challenge or I don't like that challenge and then decide whether or not you want to enter it in or not. No, you are obligated by law to enter that in as a challenge. So that's why that was a very important victory. And that's why that provision was ruled on. The next one, I think, is right next to it in, in level of importance. That's why I wanted to go bottoms up. And it deals with bringing electronic devices into the AV counting board. Now, why is this important? Well, if you were like me and you were a poll challenger at TCS Center in Detroit, there's a lot of shenanigans going on that I would have loved to be able to bring out my phone and start recording. Instead, what I had to do is take a bunch of notes on a notepad, write it down. After the election, I submitted a little, I got a notary public and I submitted an affidavit attesting to what I observed. And it becomes essentially um, a game of hearsay evidence or he said, she said, and there's no corroborating evidence. I have a phone, however, now all of a sudden I have the ability to capture video recordings or audio recordings of what is happening or take photos of what is happening here that lend credence to my argument. It's not just a matter of he said, she said anymore. And I'll just give you one very tangible example of where this would have been useful. We, I was there at 3.30 in the morning when that van came up at the back of the TCF center and everybody was saying, you're crazy. There is no such thing as a van. And so, I, you know, sure enough, we had a lot of people test in their affidavits and put out notary, uh, notarized affidavits saying, nope, they dropped off ballots at the back of the TCF center with no chain of custody associated with them whatsoever. And uh, the, uh, nobody believed us and it was all dismissed in the media until we finally got a FOIA request submitted by the Gateway Pundit that actually got the surveillance video for the back of the TCF center. And sure enough, there's that van that me and many of my other poll challengers saw that we were told we were uh, conspiracy theorists and there was nothing to see here. And it was all now we finally had the video evidence. Now, what kind of a difference do you think that will make going into this election if we're able to go off and capture that information as it happens, share that information as it happens, get it out in the public before there's any discussion of certification? I think that alone has a very chilling effect on those who want to to try to steal our elections. And so for me, this is extremely important. This is something that they've been putting these arbitrary rules saying we can't bring in cell phones all the time. Nobody's ever been prosecuted, best of my, ability, my knowledge on this stuff, because it isn't against the law. It never was against the law. And finally, we have a court order that says, guys, you, you there's nothing that prevents you from possessing it. The only issue is that if you attempt to use that electronic device to share information that's prohibited from communicating, uh, from being communicated prior to the closure of the polls, you should, uh, you you can't do that. That's that's when you're violating the law. But everything else pretty much is fair game. I mean, you can't capture personally identifiable information. You can't capture somebody's specific vote. But this is AV counting board. The nice thing about AV counting boards is that there's no voters present there. You're not actually seeing somebody execute a vote. So this provision alone, I think, is probably going to be one of the bigger provisions that we have in this election. And it's also something that can be used in conjunction with the first one we talked about around poll challenges, because now we got corroborating evidence that supports those assertions in those journal entries. Um, the next one, the communication only through the challenger liaison. I mean, this is a joke. I mean, it was really, it was, um, <laughs> this is government bureaucracy at its best. So the law is pretty clear saying you can talk to an election inspector and that's where you go up and, and make your challenges and they're supposed to document it, right? What the city of Detroit in particular is trying to do, and Jocelyn Benson all over the state was trying to do is, no, 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 you got to find this mythical beast called the challenger liaison somewhere on the AB County board floor or somewhere in the poll. This is not an official title. It's nowhere found in law, nowhere found in statute. And that's essentially what Judge Schwartzel identified on this is that 
no, this is a mythical beast. We're not going to have uh, cold challengers chase unicorns around on the floor. Um, and because uh, there's all kinds of games that are being played, they, they'll they'll be out on break or a different shift and you'll have to wait for them to get back and all this kind of stuff. These are the games that are being played by these guys. They love delay. That's why they full, file their, their appeal. That's all this stuff. It's all about delay. And this is just another one of the little kabuki dances they want to put Pell challengers through. Um, the next one was a point or credential challengers on election day. Uh, well, before you move on, so I just yeah. want to reiterate that that this means so far of these three, number one, if there is a challenge about um, uh, a, a voter record, essentially, I forget the term of the um, of the actual law there on point five. Um, this thing goes on forever. Um, but if there's, oh, there it is. Okay. Um, uh, if it's involving a person's right to vote, uh, then if, if there's any kind of challenge related to that, the law says they have to take down that challenge, even if, you know, somebody else, you know, ends up determining that it's an impermissible challenge or that it's not relevant or whatever, uh, that somebody got it wrong uh, by the facts or by the law. Um, in fact, Judge Schwartzel said, even if the challenge is just is determined to be without basis in law or fact, if a challenge is made, it must be recorded. So um, it's if we're talking about challenges other than uh, when it comes to a particular person's right to vote, then those are um, generally speaking, actually not required to be recorded. But even in here, Judge Schwartzel was saying, you know, it's, uh, it seems advisable that you'd still want to record all those because otherwise you're trying to cover up what people are complaining right. of. And then that's why uh, you said, Pat, that you, you know, you go to the next one, the electronic devices. If you have uh, poll workers who are, or election inspectors refusing to document the challenges made by these election uh, challengers um, and poll watchers and whatnot, if you have people um, that are refusing to do that, uh, then if for those of you who are going to show up to the polls to try to help in this regard and you have your cell phone or GoPro or whatever, start recording. Uh, you just, you can't share it before the close of the polls. And, and of course, like Pat mentioned, you can't uh, share personal identifying information from particular ballots uh, and with the public, but you can record it all. You can record anything. And then if you need to talk to an attorney later about what it is that you can share and how you can share it, but better have it and be safe than sorry and, and wishing that you had had it. Uh, but you that's what that fourth point of on working our way up there, that's what that means. You can have your recording device and use it. Um, just don't share. Just be careful about how you're sharing. So no live streaming on YouTube. Um, I mean... Yeah. So not anyway, eight o'clock. Yeah. Okay, not till eight o'clock. Um, and then, uh, but then all bets are off and then go ahead and share live stream if they're doing something crazy. Um, but, uh, that communicating again, you don't have to go find this mythical, mythical creature, this, uh, uh, challenger liaison. You go to an election inspector as the state law says, and you make your challenge. And if you're there, and especially those of you, this is going to be a first time for you volunteering in this uh, regard. If somebody says, oh, no, I can't take that complaint. You got to go find so-and-so. Nope. If they're an election inspector, that's what their job is. Uh, so you can bring that complaint. So anyway, just wanted to recap on those three. But uh, uh, Pat, if you want to continue, we have two more to go. Yeah. And, and just another point on that, can you just uh, jog the memory cell on that for me, is that what this essentially does is is make the canvasser, the judge, or the board of elections uh, in a given area, um, a, the judge as to whether or not something's permissible or not. So leave it to them. In the meantime, just document it, move on, and execute your duties. Um, so the, the last two are kind of really getting into the bureaucratic malaise associated with everything that's going on. But They've had real uh, serious impacts of people that have shown up to be poll challengers and then been, been rejected because they don't think that they're properly credentialed. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to combine the two of them because I think they kind of go together. Um, so the idea of appointing or uh, credentialing uh, challengers on Election Day um, is something that they were pushing back in Jocelyn Benson's uh, guidance. But really, I mean, 
there's nothing that prohibits in statute the ability to to define all challengers on election day and um what they're you know a lot of people frankly don't get organized and figure out that they want to challenge or don't even know that they have their schedule open until election day so if people can't even figure out whether or not they want to vote or not until election day thanks to good old prop 2018-3 allowing same-day voter registration you'd think they'd at least allow people to go off and determine that they want to be a poll challenger on that day um and so so in other words that means for you guys if you haven't yet signed up and been credentialed to be a poll challenger on election day uh at least in michigan uh go ahead and still do that or at least keep that eye on your schedule so when election day comes if you find hey you know your required meetings or your kids yep. band performance or whatever it was got moved and you have a, a, the ability to donate even just a few hours uh please do so because even on election day judge Schwartzel made it clear you can get credentialed and by the way if you're interested there's two primary organizations inside of michigan that uh, are providing nonpartisan uh, poll challenging um, certification. And that is the MC4EI group. So go to MC4EI.com or go to electionintegrityforce.com. Both of those organizations are pursuing. And uh, by the way, they gave, I, I was in, I'm credentialed by the MC4EI group. Um, they provided phenomenal um, walkthroughs and actually scenario-based training for serving as a poll challenger. So the other thing was a credential form requirements. They were trying to, this secretary of state was trying to put out a standardized form and uh, that they were just playing games with. And uh, they, we actually had people rejected from serving as poll challenges because they didn't, their papers were not in order. Um, so um, this is, these are the only requirements for being a poll challenger in the state of Michigan per statute that you've got the authority in this case, either EIF or MC4EI uh, has signed it off with the presiding officer and you've got your written, written or printed name on the challenger and you got the precinct number for the challenger's assigned precinct. So that's all that's required. And um, uh, they, they keep playing games on it. And I'll, I'll tell you, I was out at the, uh, in the primary, I was out at the TCF Center and saw the games that were being played. What's very interesting is that there's a lot of they're they're tracking the names of poll challengers and their organizations up on a big board, big TV outside the AV County Board out in Detroit, and they know when when Pat Colbeck checks in, the whole world knows that Pat Colbeck checks in. Meanwhile, all the poll workers, all the election workers, all the election officials, not required to have any sort of identification. And uh, you don't know what their name is. So if you're going to go off and file a lawsuit, for example, for somebody that is violating the law, violating your rights as a poll challenger, you can't find out what that person's name is. Thankfully, now we have the ability to bring in electronic devices so we can go off and say that's the person. And uh, that's going to facilitate follow ups on lawsuits, because a lot of people are lamenting. Why aren't these people put in jail for violating the laws? I mean, I I got evidence of over 15 statutes. It's well over 15 now, but. At the time, it was 15 statutes that were violated during the 2020 election. And and everybody says, well, if that's the case, why don't you have prosecutions? Well, it's pretty darn tough to get evidence of something if you can't actually record evidence of them conducting that malfeasance. It gets into a hearsay argument, and it really gets frustrating, and especially when the media is 100% against you. Yes. So, um, so anyway, that's a good summary. I appreciate the opportunity to go off and get that out to folks because, like I said, back in 2020, we had a great ruling for a court injunction on this bogus, phony, last-minute, six-foot rule implemented by Jocelyn Benson. Yet, um, because the election officials didn't communicate it, because the media didn't communicate it, because nobody communicated that injunction, there were poll workers still on the floor that refused to um, let anybody within six feet and observe what they were doing. And so uh, it's that's why we got to get the word out now, and that's why I appreciate this opportunity, Catherine. Thanks for everything that you're doing to to get people back into the constitution and back into the actual law. I, you, I, I wish you would have been in the legislature because there's so many of those guys that are in the legislature that never even read the constitution. They don't even read their own bills before they put them in there because they're handed to them by lobbyists. And we need people like you that, that takes this stuff seriously because there are serious implications of following the law or not following the law. In this case, the serious implications are having a, uh, 
phony president elected. So among other things. So this is a big deal. And, and I know it can be boring. It gets into some all this legalese. It's, it's, it's only fun for folks like Catherine. <laughs> but, but it's important. It's important. We have to go off and uh, and execute this. Price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And I thank you for your eternal vigilance there, Catherine. Yeah, well, uh, make sure to let people know, especially, you know, all the thousands of fellow Patriot friends that, that you and I share. A lot of people don't realize that I'm still at it just because I'm in Florida now doesn't mean I gave up on Michigan. So every week, still fighting the good fight for Michigan and talking about new bills that are coming out, new court cases, uh, you know, different um, different things that uh, government officials are doing or not doing that they should be doing. Um, and primarily focusing on Michigan and Florida, but uh, really a lot of this stuff is, it affects the whole country. So, I mean, certainly with elections, Michigan and Florida, if you don't pay attention to what's happening in Michigan and Florida, then you're not going to know what's going to happen uh, when it comes to nationwide races and things like that, because Michigan and Florida have always been uh, the states to watch, uh, basically. And I mean, during my entire life, I remember that uh, even before, uh, being a poli-sci major in, in college or going on to law school or anything like that. But uh, uh, I don't know if you want to, um, Pat, I wanted to give them a few of the other pieces here. So I don't know if you want to stick around and then jump in if there's something that... Um, oh, I got to get back into my stack of stuff here. And I'm already behind on some... Uh, anyway, some efforts to help out some of our candidates. Um without going into too much detail, I got a lot of work to do, but I, this is very important. So I appreciate the opportunity to get the word out here. I'm going to put out as much information as I can at letsfixstuff.org. Also, I encourage people to check out operationoverwatch.us. Operation Overwatch, essentially the, this is a consortium of grassroots groups from all over the country, including the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. And we're essentially highlighting the fact that, you know, you, you may have got us by surprise in 2020 or most of us by surprise, but in 2022, we know what you did and we're going to be watching. Awesome. Thank you very much. And thanks for explaining it all to us today. So uh, good luck with all those other things. And man, especially on, on uh, being the boots on the ground for some of those uh, freedom fighting candidates. Certainly we need as many of them as we can get in every single position, top to bottom. So I thank you. I'm, I'm optimistic about the Michigan house, um, but that's about it right now. <laughs> now statewide i think that we're gonna have christina and matt in there as well as tudor so i think uh we we get fair elections and i think uh, we're on the track to at least getting rid of taking some of their chess pieces off the board right now uh, exactly. i think we're gonna be better off than 2020. well please say hello to your beautiful wife uh from the henry family and uh we'll Will see you do. next time say hi to emma get her constitution out there <laughs> i certainly will all right god bless yeah bye-bye Bye. All right. So uh, let's see. I'm going to get back to uh, trying to be cognizant of those of you who are like me and read lips. Uh, having somebody whose face is a little bit bigger as much as I really don't ever do my hair and hate putting makeup on. And so I don't really want that close up look. For those of you who uh, read lips, I wanted to make sure that this was uh a better screen option. So anyway, now that we have that, um, I'm going to check in. Um, let's see. Uh, I did have some good comments here. Um, wanted to share. We have um, all governments at all levels have gone rogue. And unfortunately, they, ha they have all the power. They only have as much power as we give them. So we just need to start putting them in their place. They certainly don't have the authority. Uh, they may have a forced power, but uh, anyway. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to keep trying to keep an eye on here. I'm not sure uh, where Lori is today. So um, if I miss your comments, I, I don't have that help of somebody trying to uh, rein me in and, and tell me, hey, don't forget this person asked this question, but I will try to keep an eye on that. So there are some other important things I wanted to touch base on before we left this topic today. Uh, so what is the legal effect of this May 2022 Secretary of State manual? Well, the Secretary of State and the Director of Elections themselves admitted, and this is something that Judge uh, uh, Brock Schwartzel pointed out is that uh, the May 2022 manual is 
principally explanatory, does not have the force and effect of law, and does not affect the rights of the public. They said so themselves. Uh, but the judge also said Michigan election law does not provide that any unpromulgated instructional guidance issued by the Secretary of State is binding on anyone. He's pointing out Michigan election law doesn't allow them to just issue whatever they want as instructions and then all of a sudden say everybody's bound to follow that. In fact, the instructions, the, the court order goes on to say, the instructions in the May 2022 manual are binding only on those who operate the absentee voter counting boards, AVCB, uh, according to a particular statute, and only, even in that scenario, only to the extent that the instructions are consistent with and do not add to or omit from any provision of Mich Michigan election law and he adds, or properly promulgated rule, I wouldn't add that, but that's a topic for another conversation. And in all other respects, get this guys, in all other respects, this court order clarifies that the May 2022 manual as a mere explanatory instruction is not binding on any Michigan citizen, including election challengers. So this entire manual, which I have here uh, on my desk, Pull it up for you guys. It is a 28-page document, I believe. This entire manual, whole thing, all of these pages, is not binding on any Michigan citizen, including poll challengers, um, except for in those rare instances that the judge um, mentioned. So in case that wasn't clear, uh, he says, the May 2022 manual is merely instructive. It does not and cannot independently create any new mandatory requirement. This is from the judge's opinion and order. He says, except with that narrow exception, uh, which is not applicable here. So, so what are some notable election points to consider out of this court order? Well, one, an election challenger or poll watcher cannot be stopped from bringing a hard copy or, as explained later on, an electronic version of MCL 168.77, excuse me, 733, or rather the whole Michigan election law, if you want to, into a particular polling precinct. So in other words, if you want to just be an observer, a totally unofficial observer, if you want to be an official election challenger or poll watcher, then by all means, you can bring in the state laws that are relevant there. So you don't have to have those all memorized on the top of your head. They can't stop you from bringing in a phone or a tablet that has it on there or um, even a paper copy. Only if an election challenger makes repeated unfounded challenges that rise to the level of disorderly conduct does the law permit that election challenger to be thrown out uh and and kicked out of that uh voter facility or vote voting facility they were trying to do that just if you're making these what they are calling unfounded challenges that they would just throw you out well of course they want to throw you out if you're catching them doing wrong uh but the judge said nope i mean if you are really causing a disturbance in a way uh that is more than just not agreeing with their uh illegal tactics uh then that's the only way that they can have you removed from that facility the November 2022 general election can take place without any challenger guidance, without a manual at all. Judge Schwartzel said, rightfully so, that the November general election can take place even if we have no Secretary of State or Bureau of Elections manual at all. No way. Huh. Notable points to consider about rules. Now, again, this is something um, definitely applicable in this case relating to these guidance points that the Secretary of State is trying to put out there. Um, certainly applies, though, to any government entity such as, I don't know, the DEQ or DNR or any alphabet soup uh, label that tries to put out rules. It applies. Now, this specifically is applicable to Michigan law. 
and the Administrative Procedures Act, the APA there, but there is a federal and other states also have their own versions of the Administrative Procedures Act, which I'm going to just say, we've talked about this before, uh, the Administrative Procedures Act by itself is unconstitutional and only legislators are allowed to make laws, but at any rate, we're going to pause on that underlying thought for just a moment, uh, because even the law is set against them. So in the Michigan version, Section 7 of the Administrative Procedures Act, it defines that a rule that has to go through all those procedures is any agency regulation or statement, standard, policy, ruling, or instruction of general applicability that implements or applies laws enforced or administered by the agency or that prescribes the organization, procedure, or practice of the agency. Anything they're trying to put out there that they want to matter in any kind of way, shape, or form is a rule. So under the APA, only a department's rule promulgated by the department through that public notice requirement, notice and comment uh, rulemaking. Only that kind of a rule has any kind of force and effect of law. Again, constitutionally speaking, none of them do. But anyway, according to the law, no rule can have the force and effect of law unless it jumps through these procedures. And any other pronouncement by the department in any department does not have the force and effect of law unless specifically authorized by the legislature. These are all statements right from Judge Swartzel in this opinion. So what are other notable points to consider? Well, this I found quite interesting, and I'm definitely going to be bringing this up in further legal proceedings against, uh, well, Allegan County officials, including judges and appeals judges and you name it, that a court owes respectful consideration to each and every party's interpretation of a statute. Respectful consideration, not just the interpretation from government officials, but of each and every party. A court owes respectful consideration to each and every party's interpretation of a statute, not just that of a government official. That to me is huge. It's important. It's not novel. It's not a new idea. But to hear a judge put that into an opinion and order, finally, we're starting to get them to see the light. Private citizens and government officials alike are expected to know and follow the law. Again, oh, I was just following orders. I'm just following this manual or whatever it is. No matter what state you are in, he, this judge, is just he is not um, making up these things. These are things that come out of, uh, you know, statutes, um, prior Supreme Court cases, um, you know, the Constitution, the state or federal Constitution itself. These parts are not just from him. But these are great things that I wanted us to remember in the context as it's come up in this case. And he says certain practices might be a good idea. But before a good idea can become a law or have any kind of legal force and effect, that idea must be embodied within an enacted statute or promulgated rule. Again, I wouldn't say that being in a rule does anything, but at any rate, um, just something I want to remind you too, because there are some things in here that I'm like, really, dude, why'd you put that in there? You were, you were kind of going in the right direction. But at any rate, just a reminder, case precedent is not law. So even the case precedent he references, um, it's not law, even though others treat it that way. So again, with that true or false uh, question we asked you earlier this morning, election workers can do whatever they think is necessary to keep elections running securely, true or false. Again, you still have time until 10 o'clock tonight to go and answer that poll on Twitter, Telegram, LinkedIn, YouTube, True Social, and our very own RestoreFreedomKH.com slash updates tab. But uh, give you that hint. False! It's false! Because Secretary of State and election workers must do their best to secure our elections, but they must do so within the specific authority granted to them by the law. Of course, only those laws that are uh, enacted constitutionally anyway. 
So if you want more information, Patrick Kolbeck shared uh, several websites and organizations. Um, OperationOverwatch.us is one of them. Uh, his uh, website, Let'sFixStuff.org, I think it's .org, is uh, his own website. Um, and of course, um, you can check out our Wednesday Way to Get Involved Challenge that will be shared with you tomorrow. Our Constitution Segment Recap video will come out on uh, Thursday and will, of course, be hopefully only one version of uh, 10 minutes or less recapping the legal and constitutional provisions that we're talking about today. Of course, it'll also come along with a link to view uh, at your own pace all of the citations and statements and things made here uh, in this slideshow. So that will be provided to you in the description of that video on Thursday. So make sure to check back for that. Uh, it'll also be available through our website, restorefreedomkh.com slash updates. Um, but of course, our Friday, uh, Friday's Freedom Fighting Tools will be shared with you. That, that will be an important day to make sure you are uh, sharing. I think I have a video that we'll be sharing with you, uh, this court order, um, and uh, Patrick's summary of uh, this PDF summary of uh, the court order and, and some other things there. So we'll have at least three freedom fighting tools for you on Friday. But uh, with that being said, I wanted to thank you so much for uh, joining us today on our 43rd episode of this season's Restore Freedom Weekly. Please make sure to check out our website, restorefreedomkh.com. Go to the uh, support tab where you will find information on donating to keep this program running, to keep our Constitution segment recap videos going, to keep our newsletter or our Restore Freedom Constitution app on the Apple app and Google Play stores, uh, all of those things and more, the whole website itself. So please make sure to check out that site and we will have specific information regarding sponsorship opportunities related to those donation items uh, coming out soon. But don't hesitate to reach out and take that proactive step if you are interested in doing that, but want to do that in conjunction with a sponsorship opportunity. Um, but uh, do make sure that every so often you're checking out that website, clearing your cash or hitting the refresh button or whatever needs to be done. But Restore Freedom, K as in Catherine, H as in Henry.com, RestoreFreedomKH.com has all kinds of information uh, that is being added on a regular basis basis, uh, not as quickly as I would like to be able to do it, but I also have to do all the reading and coming through of all the cases and statutes and setting up all these uh, interviews or podcast uh, guests, etc., cetera, uh, and all the, the logistics. So uh, at any rate, uh, I appreciate all of you joining uh, today and uh, to those of you who support us on a regular basis with prayer and words of encouragement and, of course, general donations, uh, we couldn't do this without you. But regardless of whether you're in Michigan or in Florida, please make sure that you are paying attention to what's happening at local, county, statewide, nationwide elections in your own state, but specifically also in Michigan and in Florida, because they will, in fact, impact the entire country. So with that, again, I'm constitutional attorney Catherine Henry. It has been a blessing to be with you today discussing this important update. Uh, next week, we might uh, have a, another special guest related to elections. Uh, otherwise, um, if it uh, seems too pressing, I might touch on the recent Michigan Court of Appeals uh, opinion that just came out about Merlena and her bistro and the supposed requirement to follow unconstitutional orders. Yeah, I might have to cover that one, but I might, I might be willing to restrain myself and push that off for one more week so we can have that special guest next Tuesday. We'll see. Um, all right. Thank you so much, everyone. Have an absolutely wonderful day.